few moments as we open your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me again, Lord, that your spirit would come upon me. And Father, that you would give me the words to say, Lord, to be able to help your people. Lord, I pray that tonight would be a time that we would learn and that we would understand, Lord, but that also we would draw closer to you. We love you, Father. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, we're there in Isaiah chapter number 10, and we've been preaching through the book of Isaiah on Sunday nights, and uh, if you look at verse number 1, just a little bit of introduction, Uh, we're not going to deal with the entire chapter tonight, just because there's uh, some things that I want to deal with, and I think they're going to take up the majority of the time. There's a lot of interesting things you can study out in this chapter. Uh, look, look at verse 1. The Bible says, Woe to them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed. That's talking about all your politicians, and all the, the politicians that steal and make all sorts of uh, decrees that are grievous. Uh, look at verse 2. To turn aside the needy from judgment, and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will you do in the day of visitation, and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your glory? Without me, they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. And do you remember this phrase from last week? For all this, his anger is not turned away way, but his hand is stretched out still. And we talked about that last week, and uh, Isaiah, the first five verses of, of chapter 10 are, are kind of the ending of chapter 9, and basically, I'm not going to go into it, but God is continuing to describe why he's going to bring judgment upon the, the nation of Israel, and, and the fact that their politicians are corrupt, they're a hypocritical nation, they're taking advantage of the needy, and of the poor, and of the widows, and they're doing all sorts of things that God is not happy with, but in verse number 5, God turns his attention to the nation of uh, Assyria, or the Assyrians. And notice verse 5. I I want you to see this. The Bible says, O Assyrian. Now notice what God says about the Assyrians. He says, The rod of mine anger... And the staff in their hand is mine indignation. This is God speaking. And he says, the Assyrian is the rod of mine anger. And he says, the staff that the Assyrian has in his hand that he's going to use to come down and beat the people. He says, that wrath is mine indignation. God speaking here. And what you need to understand is that the Assyrians at this time were being used of God. God was using the Assyrians to bring judgment upon his people. And if you study the, the, the books of the prophets specifically, you'll notice that it's not uncommon for God often uses one nation to punish another nation. I think it was uh, George Washington who said, uh, nations cannot be judged in the next world. And so they must be judged in this world. And God will not allow nations to, to just continue on in sin and, and and all sorts of wickedness without punishing them. And here, God is using the nation of Assyria to punish the nation of Israel. And notice, he's, he's talking about using the Assyrians. And notice right off the bat, he's, he's using them as a tool. Look at verse 5 again. Oh, Assyrian, the rod of my anger. Here's what he's saying. He said, I'm going to take a rod, and I'm going to beat my child, Israel, uh, with this rod. I'm going to correct them. But the rod that he's using is the nation or the Assyrians. He says, the Assyrians, the rod in mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Notice verse 6. Notice how God is using them. 
This is God speaking. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, I will send him. Sending the Assyrian. He says, I will send him against an hypocritical nation. That's the nation we read about in the first five verses, the nation of Israel. And against the people of my wrath. Notice, will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the street. So here we see that the Assyrians are being used of God. Now notice, in verse 7, we see this. Howbeit. So verses 5 and 6 tells us that God was using the Assyrians as a tool to punish the nation of Israel. But in verse 7 he says, Howbeit. He meaneth not so. So the he there is the Assyrian. He says, Habit, he says, I'm using the Assyrian to punish the nation of Israel. I'm using them as a rod to bring destruction, to bring uh, to, 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 the, to fulfill my indignation with this nation. He says, Habit, he meaneth not so, neither does his heart think so. So here's what you got to understand. The nation of, the, of Assyria, or the Assyrians, are being used of God, but they don't realize it. Or they don't understand it, or at least they don't acknowledge it. Verse 7 says, Habit, he meaneth not so. Neither does his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and cut off. Now notice this phrase, nations not a few. You've got to understand what's going on. God basically told the Assyrians, I want you to go down to Samaria. I want you to go to that northern uh, kingdom of Israel. And I'm going to use you as the rod of my anger. And I'm going to use the staff in your hand. That's going to be my indignation to punish the people for their wickedness and for their sin. But the nation of Assyria decided, I don't want to just take over a few nations. They said, we don't want to just destroy and cut off nations. Not a few. They said, we want to do more than what God is allowing us to, to do. Now, here's what you're going to understand, okay? The sins are being used of God. Oftentimes, though, when God is using us, we like to take it further than God really wants us to take it. God meant for the Assyrians to punish the northern kingdom of Israel, but the Assyrians want to go down and take over the southern kingdom of Judah as well. Notice verse 8. For he saith, Are not my princes altogether kings? Is not Kalno as Karshemish? Is not Hamath as Arpad? Is not Samaria as Damascus? What he's saying is, he's saying, are my, are my princes just as good as any of their kings or their kingdoms? Verse 10, as my hand hath found the kingdoms of the idols, and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria. Here's what he's saying. We have taken over nations that had idols that were more excellent idols than the idols that Jerusalem, which is the capital of the southern kingdom, and Samaria, which is the capital of the northern kingdom. You know, when I read that, the first question that I ask is, why does why does Jerusalem and Samaria have idols? You know? But what he's saying is, we have destroyed nations that have better idols or better false gods than the idols that they have in Jerusalem and Samaria. Look at verse 11. Shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if I can, if, if God will bless me in going down and destroying that northern uh, kingdom of Samaria, then why can't I go down and also destroy that southern kingdom of Jerusalem? He's saying, if God blessed me and used me in punishing one group, then why can't I continue on and do more than God has wanted me to do? Now, what we're seeing here is the pride of the Assyrians. 
And you cannot get away. For those of you that have read your Bible, and if you haven't read your Bible cover to cover, I would encourage you to start today. Just start working on reading the Bible. And one thing you'll notice as you read the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is this theme throughout Scripture of the fact that God hates pride. God hates a proud spirit, a haughty spirit. And here we see the pride of the Assyrians. I want you to notice, the pride of the Assyrians was their downfall. Look at verse 12. They're going around saying, you know, well, if we did it to Samaria, can't we do it to Jerusalem? And if we did it to these other nations, they have, they, these other nations had better idols than, than Jerusalem and Samaria. Then why can't we do it to them? Now notice verse 12. Wherefore, God says, for that reason, it shall come to pass. Sorry, I've got something in my throat. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, notice what God says, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. And here's what you understand, okay? In verse number 5, the Assyrian is being used of God. And in verse number 12, the Assyrian now becomes the object of God's wrath. And that quickly, you need to understand this, that quickly, from verse 5 to verse 12, can you and I and a church and a nation and anyone go from being used of God and being blessed of God and allowing that blessing of God to get in our heads and when pride comes up, God will turn against us. The fastest way to get God to go against you is to allow pride into your heart. Look at verse 12 again. Wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed His whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Israel. He was just using the Assyrians to punish the Samaritans and now he's going to punish the Assyrians and the glory of, notice the last phrase of verse 12, the glory of his high looks. That speaks to their pride. You ever met someone that had a high look? They thought very highly of themselves. I'm so this, and I'm so that, I'm so smart, or I'm so good looking, or I'm so... And, and the Bible talks a lot about that high look. Notice verse 13. This is why God is going to punish the Assyrian. For he's saying, this is what the Assyrian said. Remember, God was the one that was using the Assyrian, right? Verse 5. O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, the staff in their hands, is mine indignation. God was the one that was allowing the Assyrians to go and punish the nation of Samaria. But in verse 13 he says, For he saith, here's, here's what the Assyrian said, and here's where the Assyrian went wrong. He says, By the strength of my hand I have done it. They're not acknowledging God. They're not saying God allowed me to win these battles and God allowed me to take this land and God gave me this victory. He says, by the strength of my hand have I done it. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent. He says, I'm smart. He said, I'm wise. He said, I was able to... Now notice, notice how far they take it. And I have removed the bounds of the people and have robbed their treasures and have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. Look at verse 14. And my hand have found... Notice the, the illustration that he uses. Verse 14. And my hand have found as a nest the riches of the people. And as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, it's like I found a nest with eggs in it that was abandoned. 
He said, the way that I've taken over these nations, it's like I've just gone around and picked eggs. He said, imagine watching a child, you know, during Easter, pick up Easter eggs. He said, that's how easy it was for me to take these nations. Look at verse 14. And as my hand has found as the, a nest, the riches of the people, and as one gathers eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth. Notice, and there was none that moved the wings. You see how he said, there's no mother hen there. There was no bird there to try to fight me off when I picked those eggs, those nations. He said, there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or peeped. He's saying it was easy. He said it was my wisdom. It was my strength. He said because I'm so uh, great and because I'm so powerful, because I'm so prudent, I was able to go and I took over this nation and I took over that nation and I took over Samaria and I'm going to go get Judah and it's been easy for me because I'm so strong and so smart. Now keep your finger there in Isaiah chapter 10 and go with me real quickly to Proverbs chapter 16. This is a very well-known passage, you know it, but let's look at it together. Because you know, whether we like to admit it or not, every single one of us deals with pride from time to time. Every human being is wired to deal with pride. Someone said, I'm, I'm not proud, I'm very humble and I'm proud of it, you know. But we all deal with pride. Proverbs chapter 16, look at verse 18. You gotta understand, this is a theme found throughout Scripture. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction. That's how it always works. Pride goeth before destruction. And in a haughty spirit before a fall. I'm just trying, I'm trying to tell you the fastest way to get God against you is to allow pride in your heart and in your mind. You want to put God against you? You want to get destroyed? And you want to fall? Allow pride and allow a haughty spirit to come into your life because pride goeth before destruction. It always happens. What was the downfall of Satan? Pride. What was the downfall of the Assyrians? Pride. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 10 and look at verse 15. Remember, God said in verse 5, He says, The Assyrians are, are, are my tool. The Assyrians are the ones that I am using. O Assyrians, the rod of mine anger. He says, The Assyrians are my rod that I am using. Now the Assyrian got puffed up and said, I did it. God didn't do it, I did it. God didn't give me this wealth, I got this wealth. God didn't give me this house, I got this house. God didn't give me this car, I got... Every, you understand it. The Bible says, Every good gift cometh from above. Everything you have, everything you are, everything that, that you have that, that, that might allow some pride into your life, you must realize and acknowledge that it came from God. Now notice verse 15. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 15. God's response to the Assyrians is this. Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? As if the rod should shake itself against them that lift up, or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood. Here's what he said. He said when, when a man takes an axe and cuts down a tree, does the axe, you know, when that tree comes up, does the axe then stand up and look and say, look what I did? I mean, that's the idea. He says, shall an axe bolt itself against him that heweth their way? Or shall a saw magnify itself? When a man takes a saw and takes a piece of wood and saws that uh, piece of wood down and cuts it, does the saw then stand up and say, look what I did, I cut that wood. Here's the thing, the axe does not have the power to do anything unless a man picks it up and uses it. And what God is telling the 
Assyrians. And what God is telling you and what God is telling me is that anything that God allows us to do is because God chose to use us. And anything that we do is because God allowed us to be used of Him. So the axe throws itself against Him that heals the way? So the saw magnifies itself against Him that shakes it? What is verse 16? Therefore, He says, for this reason, shall the Lord, the Lord of hosts, send among His fat ones leanness. And upon His glory He shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. Now let's, let's run some references real quick and then we'll get into a little bit of a different subject. But go, go to Matthew chapter number 18. We were in Matthew 18 on Wednesday night and we dealt with this subject, but uh, we, didn't, we, we dealt with the subject of uh, offenses and we dealt with this a little bit, but let's just look at it real quickly. Matthew chapter 18. You need to understand this with God. When it comes to God, the quickest w- way to get a base is to lift yourself up. And the quickest way to have God lift you is to lower yourself. That's how it works in the Bible. That's how it works in Christianity. Now, in the world, in the business world, in the worldly world, in the unsaved, unbelieving world, it is not so. In the world, it's dog eat dog. In the world, is every man for himself. In the world, is I've got to step on you so I can get ahead. But when you got saved, you began to live life by different rules. You need to understand that. What makes them successful is not the same thing that will make you successful. Say, well, so-and-so is doing this in their business. Yeah, but so-and-so is going to die and go to hell. They're not saved. They don't have a heavenly father. They don't play the game of life with the same rules that you and I play. You must understand that. That's why people think, well, so-and-so is doing this, and they're successful, and so-and-so is doing this with their children, and they seem to be okay. Yeah, but so-and-so is not the child of God. You understand that? And as soon as you got saved, you play by different rules. Are you there in Matthew chapter 18? Look at verse 1. Remember this from Wednesday night at the same time? Came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called, they lived. Now that's a that's a proud statement. A proud question. They're hoping the answer is you. You know, they're asking, Who's the greatest? And they're hoping Jesus is say, Well, you are, you're the greatest. And Jesus called, notice, a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Notice verse 4. Now remember we talked about it on Wednesday night. A child is humble. Because see, a child, ch- children often don't have pride issues because they know that they need you. They know they need you from the moment they wake up. They need you to bring them breakfast and to bring them a snack and then a snack again and then lunch and then another snack. And for those of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know, maybe this is my kids. You know, they need you to bring them the 13 meals that they eat every day. You know, it's like, good night, you're seven years old. Why do you eat so much? You know, I'm going to have to make them get jobs. Anyway, what were we talking about? Look at verse 32. And Jesus called the little child and sent him in, uh, and, and sent him in the midst of him and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be now notice it, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse four. Whosoever therefore shall notice this word humble himself. The same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And that that's found all throughout the Bible. You want to be great, humble yourself. You want to be humble, make yourself great. Because God will bring, God, there's something about God that just cannot stand pride. Let's go to James chapter 4. Uh, 
if you go back from the from the book of Revelation, the Re- Revelation is the back last book of the Bible. If you go back from there, you got the book of Jude, which is one chapter. Then you got first, second, and third John. Then you got first and second Peter, and then you got the book of James. Okay, so back from Revelation, you got Jude, first, second, and third John, first, second Peter, and then uh, James. James chapter four. James chapter four, and look at verse number six. I'll show you this in two passages. James chapter 4 and verse 6. James chapter 4 and verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith. Notice James 4, 6. Wherefore he saith. Notice. God resisteth the proud. But giveth grace unto the humble. Look, I don't know about you, but when it comes to business, careers, marriages, raising children... Whatever it is that you're involved in and you're doing in life, the last thing I need and the last thing I want is God resisting me. Do you understand that? And the Bible says that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Go to First Peter. You're there in James. The next book over is First Peter, chapter five. Look at verse five. It's, it's quoted again. First Peter, chapter five, verse five. First Peter, chapter five, and verse five says this. Just the next book over. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And by the way, submitting yourself to someone requires being humble. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. Why, pastor? Why should we be subject one to another? And the word subject there, one to another, is not like, I'm your boss, and you're my boss, and I'm going to do what you tell me. And you. The, the idea is that I'm esteeming you better than myself. I'm looking out for your best interest, and you're looking out for my best interest. He says, submit yourselves one to another, and be clothed with humility. Why? For God resisted the proud. And give it grace to them. You want grace from God? Humble yourself. You want God to resist you? Be proud. You want to be great? Humble yourself like a child. You want to get God to turn on you? And when He was using you? And when He was blessing you? And when He was helping you? Now you're the object of His wrath? Allow pride to come into your life. So, if you go back to Isaiah, chapter 10. The the first thing that we saw is the pride of the Assyrians. From verses 10 to verse 16, we saw the pride of the Assyrians. In verse 17, though, we kind of begin, we begin to talk, we, we continue to talk about the Assyrians, but the view changes from the actual Assyrians to a prophetic picture that is yet to come. At first we saw the pride of the Assyrians, but from verse 17 and on, I want you to notice, we're going to see the picture of the Antichrist. And there's a picture here of the tribulation time, and really it's the end of the tribulation time, and of the Antichrist. And I want, I want to uh, show you and prove to you why this is a prophecy of the Antichrist, and maybe you can take notes if that's something you're interested in. But look at verse 17, okay? The Bible says, and the light of Israel, okay? Right there, if you've been studying Isaiah with us, that ought to jump out at you as not exactly just about the time that Isaiah was speaking of. He says, and the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and notice this phrase, his holy one. Now look, there's only one holy one, 
Hence the name Holy One. Okay, There's only one person that that phrase refers to. And His Holy One for a flame. And He shall burn and devour His thorns and His briars in one day. So, in Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 17, we begin to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you remember, we studied this out last week. We'll look at it again quickly. Jesus is the light. And not only that, Jesus is the Holy One. So here Isaiah begins to prophesy of this coming Messiah, this light, and this Holy One. Let's do a little bit of review. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9 look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1. And uh, we have to get through a little bit of like Bible study and and show you a few things and, and, and we'll bring it all together. Isaiah chapter 9, look at verse 1. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 1, the Bible says, Nevertheless, you remember this from last week? Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Remember the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali? They're the northern lands of Israel. And when the Assyrians were attacking from the north, they got the brunt of the attack because they're in that northern part. The Bible says he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea. Make you know that phrase, by the way of the sea. And beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. He's talking about the fact that the, 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 the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali are going to be afflicted, they're going to be destroyed, they're going to be left desolate and in dimness, okay, look at verse 2, the people that walk in darkness, he says, even though it's going to be bad, what's going to happen to them, he says, there's coming a light, and the people that walk in darkness have seen a great light, they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 4. We saw this last week, but let me just remind you of it. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 are a prophecy also of Jesus Christ. They're fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 13. We saw it last week, but let's look at it again. Because this is all about the light, remember? They saw a great light. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. Should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 4. In verse number 13, Matthew chapter 4, in verse number 13, the Bible says this, And leaving Nazareth, he, I don't have time to read the context, you can study it out on your own, but the he there is Jesus Christ. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast. Remember the sea coast? In the borders of Zebulun and Nephilim. So he left uh, Nazareth and he went up to Zebulun and Nephilim. Why did Jesus leave Nazareth and go up to Zebulun and Nephilim? Verse 14. That it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the, this, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of shadow of death, light is sprung up. So, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah says, hey, Zebulun and Naphtali are going to be destroyed and left afflicted and left in darkness. But don't worry, because there's coming a light that's going to spring up and you're going to see this great light. And then in Matthew 4, we're told that Jesus went up to Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill that prophecy because Jesus is that light that sprung up. Okay? Remember, this is all review from last week, but I just want you to to understand that. Okay, go to John chapter number 8. Let me just show you this real quickly. John chapter 8. I I was showing that 
to you to remind you and to prove to you that Jesus is that light. Specifically, when Isaiah is referring about a light, he's referring about Jesus Christ. In John chapter number 8 and verse number 12, the Bible says this. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 8 and verse 12. The Bible says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, notice what Jesus said. He says, I am the light. As I am the light of the world, he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light, uh, the light of life. So we see here that Jesus is the light. Because remember, in Isaiah chapter 10, it talks about the light. Okay, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. But if you remember also, in Isaiah chapter 10, and verse... Uh, Let's see, what was it? Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 17. Not only did it refer to the light, but it referred to the Holy One. Do you remember that? The Holy One. Okay, who is that Holy One? Go to Luke chapter 4. Don't go back to Isaiah, okay? Just take my word for it. You can look at it in a second. It wasn't that long ago we read it. It said the Holy One. Do you remember that? Okay, Luke chapter 4. Because we, we got to do this quickly because I'm already running out of time. Luke chapter 4, look at verse 34. I'm just proving to you, because I can say to you like, hey, the light is Jesus, the Holy One is Jesus. But we don't like to do that at Verity Baptist Church. We like to prove everything from the Word of God. Luke chapter 4, look at verse number 34. Luke chapter 4, verse 34. Luke chapter 4 and verse 34, the Bible says, Saying, let us alone... What have we to do with thee? Remember, this is one of the demon-possessed men talking to Jesus. They said, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art. And as he calls him, the Holy One of God. Do you see that? Okay. The demons, called the devils, acknowledge Jesus as the Holy One of God. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 27. Acts chapter 2, verse 27. I know we've been in Acts chapter 2 a lot lately, okay? This will be the last time, and then we'll give it a break. Acts chapter 2, and verse 27. Remember Peter's sermon that he was preaching uh, at the day of Pentecost there to the local group? Remember we talked about that last week? Acts chapter 2, verse 27, the Bible says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Now this is a prophecy of Jesus from the book of Psalms. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine, notice this, Holy One to see corruption. You say, well, how do we know that that was Jesus? Well, if you go down to verse 31, the Bible says this about that phrase, Acts 2.31, He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. So, in verse 27, we're told that the Holy One's soul was not left in hell, and his flesh did not see corruption. In verse 31, we're told that, the, that Christ, Jesus the Christ, his soul was not left in hell, neither did his Holy One see corruption. There's many, many verses I could show you, but I, I just want to give you a few. Go back to Isaiah. The point is this. The light is Jesus Christ. The Holy One is Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, that phrase is used all throughout the Old Testament. The prophesying of the Holy One. We'll see it again in the book of Isaiah. So when you see that, you got to remember that's Jesus. That is, uh, And sometimes it's re- he's referred to as God, but that's because Jesus is God. Okay, uh, Isaiah chapter 10. The first thing we saw in Isaiah chapter number 10, in verse uh, 17, is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of Israel shall be for a fire, and the Holy One for a flame. But I want you to notice that in verse 18, we have a reference to the Antichrist. A reference to the Antichrist. Look at verse 18. 
and shall consume. Now notice, who is doing the consuming? Look at verse 17. And the light of Israel, which we already established as Jesus, shall be for a fire. Okay, so Jesus is the one that's producing the fire. And His Holy One, which we establish as Jesus, for a flame. So Jesus is the flame. And it shall burn and devour His thorns and His briars in one day. So the Bible's talking about the fact that one day this light and this Holy One in one day is going to burn and devour in one day. What is He going to burn? What is He going to devour in one day? Verse 18. And shall consume the glory of, notice, His forest. you see that? And of His fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when a standard bearer fainted. Now you say, well, Pastor Jimenez, why do you think that verse 18, that this light of Israel and this Holy One is consuming this forest and this fruitful field? Why do you believe that's the Antichrist? And I'm going to give you a few things to think about, but first let me say this. Oftentimes in the Bible... Trees or plant life it often represents a king or a leader or a kingdom. Let me prove that to you, okay? Go to Isaiah chapter 5. Remember we're just five weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 5? Do you remember this? Verse 7? Because it says that the light of Israel and the Holy One is going to burn up His forest and His fruitful field. And that forest is a representation of a kingdom that is coming. A king that is coming. A leader that is coming. And I just want to prove to you, throughout the Bible, plant life often represents kingdoms. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Remember this? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So there we have the entire nation of Israel represented as a vineyard. And all throughout the Bible you find the nation of Israel represented as a vineyard. Uh, go to Judges chapter 9. Let me, give you, let me show you something else. Another example of that. Judges chapter 9. In verse number 7. Judges chapter 9 and verse 7. Judges chapter number 9 and verse 7 towards the end of the... Uh, night, towards the end of nothing. Towards the beginning of the Old Testament. Judges chapter 9 and verse 7. The Bible says... Judges 9, 7. Remember we, we talked about this when we were preaching through the book of Judges... Uh, last year or something. Judges 9, 7. And when they told it to Jotha, he went and stood in the top of Mount Gerizim, and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. Now, I don't have time to go through the whole thing of, of Judges here, but if you remember, uh, Abimelech, the son of Gideon, killed all his brothers so that he could become king. One of the brothers got away, which is this man Jotham, and he now stands on Mount Gerizim, which has a lot of different, you know, all, you just study Mount Gerizim throughout the Bible, it has to do with the blessings and curses of God upon, his, upon a nation. And this uh, Jotham stands on the Mount Gerizim, and he's talking to the people that made Abimelech their king. And Abimelech is this man who killed all his uh, brothers in order to be able to become king. And he begins to give them a parable. You know, remember how Jesus would teach in parables? He begins to give them a story to explain to them, hey, you picked the wrong guy to be your king. Now notice the story, verse 8. He says, the trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them. You see that? Because remember, in the Bible you find that trees and plant life, vineyards and fields often represent kingdoms and kings. Verse 8. 
the trees went forth on a time to anoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, reign over us. And the olive tree said unto them, should I leave my fatness wherewith uh, by me they honor God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? And the tree said unto the fig tree, come thou and reign over us. And the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, should I leave my wine which cheereth God and man? And go to be promoted over the trees. Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If thou, if in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now the point that Jotham is making, he's saying this, you couldn't find one of the good trees to be your king, so you made this bramble your king. And that's what the point that he's saying. But I just want, what I'm trying to get you to see is that throughout Bible, throughout the Bible, often they use trees and plant life, vineyards and vines, to represent kingdoms and kings. Uh, verse 16, let's just read it. Uh, now therefore, if ye have done truly and sincerely, and that ye have made Abimelech king, and if ye have dealt with Jerubbabel and his house, and have done unto him according to uh, the deserving of his hands. And we won't get into that. Go to Daniel. Let me give you another example. Daniel chapter 4. I'm trying to prove to you that throughout the Bible, kings and kingdoms are represented by uh, trees. Are you starting to see why this morning I said that the evening services sometimes are a little more in depth? Uh, Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 18. Daniel towards the end of the, new, of the Old Testament. I'm just going to stop talking. How about that? Towards the end of the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was pictured by a tree. Daniel 4.18, notice what the Bible says. Daniel 4.18, this dream... I, King Nebuchadnezzar, has seen. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And Daniel is going to come in and interpret the dream. This dream, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, has seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, which is the Babylonian name of Daniel, declare the interpretation thereof, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, So he's basically saying, I had this dream, nobody can tell me what it means, but Daniel, I know you can tell me, verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for an hour, and his thoughts troubled him. Uh, the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Notice verse 20. The tree that thou sawest. Do you see that? He says, if you saw a tree in your dream, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, the tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heavens, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. Now notice, he's talking about this tree, he says, the tree that thou sawest, verse 22, it is thou, O king, do you see that? Okay, so, Nebuchadnezzar is pictured by a tree, Abimelech is pictured by a bramble, the nation of Israel is pictured by a vineyard. I won't take the time to show you anymore, but if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about the false prophet, which is a false religious leader, and he says they are corrupt trees. Remember he said, by their fruits he shall know them, because a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Okay, go back to Isaiah chapter 10. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. When the light of Israel and the Holy One begins to flame up and begins to uh, burn the forest 
it is a reference to the fact that he's going against a nation or a kingdom. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse 18. And shall consume the glory of his forest and his fruitful field. Now you may ask this question. Pastor Jimenez, how do you know that the forest, you're saying, well, I know that the forest and the fruitful field, I see what you're saying, that's a picture of a kingdom, but how do you know that that is the kingdom of the Antichrist? Okay, here's how we know it's the Antichrist. You've you got to look at this phrase in verse 18. And shall consume the glory of his forest and his fruitful field. Notice this phrase, I'd underline it if, 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 if you are okay with writing in your Bible. Notice what he says, both soul and and body. You see that? Both soul and body. Now, uh, go to Revelation chapter 20, okay? I- I'm going to try to explain a few things to you, and I'm going to try to wrap this up, uh, but you're ju- you may have to just study some of this on your own. Let me try to explain this to you, and I'm not going to prove it a lot from the Bible, okay? So if you want to ask me about it later, we can talk about it or just study it on your own. But here's what you got to understand, okay? And-, and this could be a sermon in and of itself. Right now, there is a place called hell, which is in the center of the earth, according to the Bible, according to Jesus Christ. When an unbeliever dies, their soul goes to hell. Okay? But their body stays here. Their body gets buried, gets, you know, cremated, whatever. But those ashes stay here. The soul goes to hell. In Revelation chapter 20 we find what's known as the great white throne. This is the last judgment of unbelievers. At the great white throne, God will remove the souls that are in hell and reunite those souls of unbelievers with their bodies. It's called the resurrection of damnation. And He will judge them at the great white throne And then he will cast both soul and body into the lake of fire, which is also referred to as hell. But you need to understand, hell and the lake of fire are pretty much the same thing, but they're two different things right now. Right now, hell is in the center of the earth. The lake of fire, the Bible tells us, is in the uttermost, it's, it's not in the center of the earth. It's just out somewhere in space or whatever. But one day, God will put hell in the lake of fire, and they're the same thing. They're fire, they're torment, they're, they're brimstone. But in hell, right now, are the souls of the unbelievers. Their bodies are buried, but one day, every unbeliever will be reunited with their body, and both body and soul will be thrown in hell. Let me prove it to you. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 12. Let's just look at it quickly. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. Last book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. The Bible says, And I saw the dead. This is the, this is the great white throne. And by the way, this is the number one reason why we need to be out soul winning. Because one day there is coming a judgment of unbelievers. And those that have not accepted Christ as their Savior will stand at this great white throne. I don't have time to cover it. I've preached sermons on the great white throne before. But you need to understand this. Every believer will be at this judgment. We will watch the great white throne. We will watch as unbelievers are escorted to hell. And we will see our friends and family members and loved ones that we should have gave the gospel to, but we didn't because we're too proud and we're afraid they were going to say something bad about us. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. i got to be a little something preaching. Revelation 20, look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. I believe those books are the Word of God. The, the 66 books of the Bible. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Verse 13. Now notice this. And the sea gave up the dead. What is that referring to? That's referring to their bodies. Because there's a lot of dead bodies in the sea. And the sea gave up the bodies which were in it. And death. Okay, death is a reference to the physical bodies. He says, and death and hell. So you got death, which is the bodies, and hell, which is the souls. Notice, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to the works. So you notice how hell gave up the dead, the sea gave up the dead, the death itself gave up the dead. So you're getting all the bodies of these unbelievers, all the souls of these unbelievers. God is reuniting them. They are appearing before God. They're being judged according to their works. Verse 14, and death that's their bodies, and hell, that's their souls, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay? This is what the Bible teaches. Like I said, I, I'm giving you a, a, a quick overview of that. Uh, we can preach a whole sermon on that. Look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, now let me just say this. Keep your finger there in Revelation, okay? But go to Matthew chapter 10, just real quickly. Okay? Because people get hung up on this. Hell is this, the lake of fire. Look, they're the same thing. In fact, God refers to both of them as hell. And let me just prove that to you. Because we just saw that the lake of fire is where both death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, right? Body and soul is cast into the lake of fire. But in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, the Bible says this. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, the Bible says this. And fear not them, this is Jesus speaking, and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. That's you and I, we go around worried about our boss, and worried about this, and worried about that. God says, don't be afraid of somebody that can't... What's the worst they can do? Just kill your body? They're not able to kill your soul. That's what he says. But rather fear Him, which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see that? Okay, so, that's a lake of fire. Because that's both soul and body, but it's still referred to as hell. Go back to Revelation chapter 19. In Revelation chapter 20, we saw the great white throne, right? We saw all the unbelievers, their souls came out of hell, death gave up their bodies, the sea gave up their bodies, God reunited their bodies and their souls, and they were both soul and body cast into the lake of fire, which Matthew 10, 28 refers to also as hell. Here's what you need to understand, okay? Before, before the great white throne in Revelation chapter 20. You have the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19. Okay? Isaiah chapter 10 is a prophecy or a preview of the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19. You say, how, how is that so? Look at Revelation 19, look at verse 11. Okay? Revelation 19 verse 11. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Now, now, just right off the bat, okay? And I don't have time to go through the whole passage. You can study this on your own. But that's Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the light. Remember? We start with the light. We start with the Holy One. Right? This is Jesus. And in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written, which no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That's Jesus. And his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus. And the armies which are in heaven followed him upon white horses. That's you and I. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now remember, the fire and the Holy One was going to devour this kingdom with what? Remember? 
With flame, right? With fire. Now notice what it says about Jesus at the battle of Armageddon, verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw angels standing in the sun. And he cried with a loud voice, saying, All the fowls uh, that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Verse 19, And I saw the beast, okay, that's the Antichrist, remember? 666, the mark of the what? Beast. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth, because remember, he's got his forest and his fruitful field, right? It's more than one king. It's a king and his kings. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him that sat on the horse. They gathered to make... See, people like to say, and the battle of Armageddon, the nations are going to unite to make war against Israel. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they're gathering to make war against him that sat on the horse. They're gathering to make war against Jesus Christ. They're gathering to make war against a nation in the Middle East. They're gathering to make war against Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Light. And notice what happens, and against His army. Notice what happens, verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both, now notice, Revelation 19 comes before the great white throne in Revelation 20. These both were cast, notice this, alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Okay, what's the difference between hell and the lake of fire? In hell goes your soul. In the lake of fire goes both body and soul. Every unbeliever right now, their soul is in hell, and their body is buried on earth or in water somewhere. In Revelation 20, the great white throne, there will be a resurrection of those unbelievers. Their bodies and their souls will be united and cast into death and hell, will be cast into the lake of fire. But before that, the first person that is destroyed, both body and soul, is the Antichrist. He's the first person that gets thrown into the lake of fire. Did you see that? Okay, so go back to Isaiah chapter 10. Look at verse 17. This is the battle of Armageddon. You say, what is the battle of Armageddon? Look at, look at Isaiah chapter 10, verse 17. And the light, that's Jesus, of Israel shall be for a fire. That fire is a reference to that lake of fire. And His Holy One, that's Jesus, for a flame. That flame is the lake of fire. And it shall burn and devour. Who's it going to burn and devour? His thorns and his briars in one day. There's, I don't have time to go through it, but there's another other reference of the Bible say that the city of Babylon will be destroyed in one day. Verse 18. And shall consume the glory. He's going to consume the glory of his kingdom, of his forest, and of his fruitful field. And how do we know he's talking about the Antichrist? He said, he's going to be the first one that I destroy both soul and body. And they shall be as when a standard bearer fainted. And the rest of the trees, remember those are the other kings, of his forest shall be few. 
that a child may write them. He said there's going to be so many, there's going to be so few kingdoms that a child is going to be able to say, here's how many uh, nations there are. And, and then we can go so into this, but basically that's referring to the nations of Gog and Magog that will enter into the kingdom. There's not going to be a lot of them, but there will be some of them. Not everybody gets killed at the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 20, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, the Zionists like to make a big deal of Israel. They say, oh, the battle over again. They're fighting against Israel. No, they're not. They're fighting against Jesus. By the way, it's always been a gift about Jesus. And they say, well, the nation of Israel is going to be, you know, brought back. It's funny because Isaiah says that a remnant of Israel is going to be brought back. Not a lot of them. Just a few of them. And this is quoted by uh, Paul in the book of Romans. And it shall come to pass in that day that a remnant, that means a small group of, uh, of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them and shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth. And the remnant shall return even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. And we, we could keep going. It talks about Egypt. It talks about Gideon. And you can, you, you can study that out on your own. But let me just deal with this. You may be wondering. You may be wondering. What does the Antichrist and the Assyrians have in common? Because throughout the Bible, do you remember in the book of Ezekiel, God used the king of Edom to picture Satan? Remember that? And, and God uses these pictures and these, these illustrations. And you may be asking yourself, well, well what, is it that, what is it that Assyria and the Antichrist have in common? That God would begin to talk about Assyria and their pride, and then shift to talk about Jesus and the Holy One destroying this kingdom with flame, and both soul and body in the lake of fire. Why, what, what is it that Assyria and the Antichrist have in common? And I, w- I want to do this quickly, but I, I need you to just give me a few minutes, and I, I want you to see this, okay? Go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's 7.13. I got two minutes, okay? But I may have to take more than those two minutes. But we can do this quickly, okay? And I'm not going to charge you for it, alright? You don't have to worry about overtime, okay? Double pay, maybe. That'd be nice. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Good night. I guess I better get myself there too. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Remember in Acts 1.8, you say, Pastor, you're going to bring this back to soul winning? You know I am. <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verse 8. we got a soul winning marathon coming up. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 8. Look, look what I just want you to see this, okay? Acts 1.8. Do you remember Jesus said this right before he ascended? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus gave the commandment to the church of Jerusalem. He said, hey, you're going to receive power. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. You're going to be witnesses unto me both in uh, Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He said, I want you to go to the uttermost part of the earth. I want you to go all over the world preaching the gospel. That's what Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, right? Go to Acts chapter 8 and look at verse 1. Jesus in chapter 1 says, I want you to go all unto the, uh, he said, start in Jerusalem, go to Ju- uh, Judea, go to Samaria, he says, go to the uttermost part of the world. And for 8 chapters, they stayed in Jerusalem. Now they had some big days in Jerusalem, right? Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. They had some great soul winning things in Jerusalem, but they did not do what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, go to all the world. And they stayed in Jerusalem. In Acts 1.8. So what happens in Acts 8.1? Notice what happens. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, remember him, was consenting unto his death. Talking about the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution 
against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of, notice this, Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Here's what happened. God tells the church, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They said, we got it. And they stayed in Jerusalem. And in Acts 8.1, God uses a man named Saul to bring persecution, and he forces them to be spread out into Judea and Samaria, and when that persecution comes, they flee, and they take the gospel with them to do what God had called them to do. Go to Matthew 24. Have you ever asked yourself this? Why does God allow, during the time of tribulation, the Antichrist to persecute and bring persecution upon his people like they've never had? I mean, is God not in control? Is God not sovereign? Does not everything that happens, does not everything that happens in this world, is it not filtered through God? Why does God allow it? Why does God not stop it? Why is God going to allow thousands of Christians to be beheaded and, and be persecuted? See, you say, well, what do the Assyrians and the Antichrist have in common? Here's what the Assyrians and the Antichrist have in common. The Assyrians were a tool that God used on his people. The Antichrist is a tool that God will use on his people. I don't think you should say that. But notice what the Bible says, Matthew 24, look at verse 9. Say, so why, why, why is God going to allow the Antichrist to bring a great persecution? Look at Matthew 24, verse 9. This is the, what's known as the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus explains, one of the passages where Jesus explains the time of the tribulation. Verse 9 says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's the Antichrist persecution of believers. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You say, God, why are you going to do this? Why will you allow the Antichrist to come and persecute us and, and destroy us and kill us? Why? Notice why. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. See, God told the church in Jerusalem, I want you to go everywhere. They said, we're not going to go. We're comfortable in Jerusalem. We have nice jobs in Jerusalem. We have nice cars in Jerusalem. We can take vacations in Jerusalem. I got a nice 401k. And I'm just going to stay here. And God says, okay, then I'm going to bring persecution and I'm going to force you to go out. And I'm here to tell you, the reason that the Antichrist shows up is because Christians are too comfortable. I mean, ask yourself this question. How many of you were out soul winning last week? We're comfortable. I got a nice car, I have a nice house, I've got my hobbies, I've got too much to do. And God says, okay, well one day I'm going to send the Assyrian, who's going to be the rod of my indignation, and he's going to be my tool that I'm going to use to scatter you out, because before I can bring this thing to the end, he says, before I can finish this thing called history, before I can come back and, and destroy the world and create a new heaven, a new before I can do all that, he said, I have to get the gospel out to the entire world. And if you will not go, I will force you to go. He says, if you're too comfortable, I'll just make you uncomfortable. Because throughout history, it's, it's been known that when persecution comes, Christians get serious about serving God. What was the song that we were singing? Lord, I need you. I don't know if you notice those words, but it says, sometimes when life seems gentle and blessings flood my way. Is that not us today? 
turn my gaze away from you and soon forget to pray. But when the sky grows darker and courage turns to fear, my anxious voice cries upward with words you long to hear, Lord, I need you. Is that not the truth? Everything's fine. Everything's good. I'm comfortable. I don't need God. I don't need to do what he said. God, you want us to go where? Samaria? But as soon as Saul shows up and begins to persecute you, God says, I'm going to force you to go. I'm going to force you. He said, well, what do the Assyrians and the Antichrists have in common? Here's what they have in common. They were both used of God upon his people as a tool to spread the people. It's the same thing that Saul did. Acts 1-8, go to Samaria, go to Judea, go to the other parts of the earth. They said, we're not going to go. Acts 8-1, he says, I'll force you to go. And God has been telling you, and God has been telling me, go, 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 go. And you say, I will not go, I will not go, I'm too busy, I'm too comfortable, I'm too lazy. And God says, well, one day I'm going to make you go. That's why he comes. There's one more thing that the Assyrians and the Antichrist have in common. Go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's the last passage we'll look at, we'll be done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The other thing that the Assyrians and the Antichrist have in common is this. They were both destroyed because of their pride. See, remember, God used the Assyrians to persecute the nation of, the northern nation of Israel, Samaria, right? But remember, the Assyrian wanted to take it further than God wanted to allow him to take it. Do you remember that? He wanted to go down into Jerusalem and destroy them too. Well, that's the same problem that the Antichrist is going to have. He's going to want to take it just a little further than God allows him to take it. His pride is going to get involved. And he will be destroyed because of his pride. Second Thessalonians 2 3 says this about the Antichrist. It says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, now the word that that day there is referring to the day of the Lord, the day of the coming of Jesus Christ. People say, Oh, uh, we believe in a pre tribulation rapture. The, the rapture can happen at any moment. Okay? Well, Second Thessalonians 2 3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. It's not going to come. Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist, who, here's, here's how the Antichrist is described, who opposeth and exalted himself above all is called God. Or that is worship. So that he as God, sit at the temple of God, showed himself that he is God. What, was the, what are the, simulations between the, the, the similarities between the Assyrians and the Antichrist? They're both tools used of God upon His people, and they will both be destroyed because they want to take it just a little too far because of their pride. And obviously, this is prophecy and it's all in the scheme of God. Now, I don't know about you. I'd rather be motivated to do what God tells me to do. And we're not going to be able to stop the coming of the Antichrist. We know that that's set. But at least it could maybe not happen in our generation if, if God says, well, look, they're getting busy with the gospel. I don't have to force them. At least it could not happen in our time. You think, can you move the, the time frame of God? I, I, you know, I, I don't, God is sovereign. You know, God is providential. We understand. God knows the beginning from the end. We understand. I'm just saying this. Let us not be the people that have to be forced to do what God told us to do. Let's just be willing to do it. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study the book of Isaiah. Lord, I pray that we'd be motivated to... Do what you've ta- called us to do. And we know that you will use persecution from time to time to motivate us when we do not have the discipline to motivate ourselves. I don't know what other churches will do, and I don't know what other Christians will do, but I pray that our church, and that we as Christians, will be motivated to go, even when we're not forced to. Thank you for allowing us to study God's Word. In your precious name I pray. Amen.
Alright, well let's take our songbooks. We'll go to page number 332 and we'll sing channels only. We're also going to have a baptism tonight. So, when we're done singing, stay seated for the baptism.